Welcome to Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno. You'll want to grab your Bible and follow along, verse by verse, with Pastor John. And I see churches giving in and saying, well, you could do these sins and that sins, but you know, these over here are really bad, but these will accept. No, every sin is wrong. Every sin must be placed on the cross. Every sinner must humbly come and surrender to Christ. If you don't let go of it, I'm sorry, but you're not saved unless you repent, unless you confess, unless you surrender to Christ. Do you see it? we got to all do the same thing. Every sinner must come. Let God be judge. I don't judge you. You're not supposed to judge me. God is the judge, right? Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. The favorite line, right, of the sinner. Don't judge me. Too late, I already did. <laughs> but God is the ultimate judge, right? We pass judgments every day. But God is the one who condemns. He finds you innocent, guilty. He judges you according to Christ. Do you have the blood? Do you have the cross? But as we condemn people, it's the old preacher, right? He's hellfire and damnation, and he's yelling and screaming and spitting as he's preaching. And he's pounding sin, and he's harshly judging those and the ones he condemns the most are the sins that he does. Some famous preachers, I know this one pastor preaching against immoral, perverse sexual sin, but I know he was doing pornography, I know he's with prostitutes, he's sleeping around, cheating on his marriage, but boy, if you're an adulterer, he's going to pound you from the pulpit because he was secretly an adulterer. It's almost like he was preaching to himself. And sometimes the sins that we get the most upset over are the sins that we struggle with. Does that make sense? It's like pointing the finger. right? I point the finger at you, and three fingers are pointing back. So be careful when you condemn, when you beat up sinners. I've found it's good. I try to love people. I try to accept where they're at. I try to not judge them. And I try to give them the love of Christ and the cross and the gospel and you can be forgiven and, you know, because why should I go around condemning them? That's not my position. That's not my place. Jesus will be given all judgment. God will enthrone his son. He will be the judge of all sinners. He's perfect, but I'm not. It's like the woman caught in adultery. Here Jesus is doing his wonderful lessons in the temple, and the Pharisees, the clergies, grab this adulteress. 
we caught her in the very act, right? While she was having sex, we nabbed her. And we grab her and we throw her down on the floor. And we have the stones in her hand to kill her. Jesus, the law says she should die. She should be stoned as an adulterer. What do you say? Do you remember? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone at her. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, he wrote a sin list in the dirt. He got down on his knees, and he's writing, I believe, the sins of the clergy on the dirt. And as they read their sin, and they realize they're on the list too, and they deserve to die, and they drop the stones in disgust, and they walk away because they wanted to kill her. I mean, we want to judge and condemn others, but we want God to be forgiving and gracious to us. No, when God gives you grace, you give grace, and love covers a multitude of sin. Jesus has a sin list in the dirt. Probably your sin is exposed. Verse 2, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Yes, I'm guilty. I deserve God's punishment. God is righteous. God is right. But he's my judge, right? He's our judge, not fellow sinners. Verse 3. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? It's being a hypocrite. You point out my sin, but you have the same sin. See, you're trying to deflect and distract from your sin by pointing out my sin. That's not how it works. You see, we all stand before God. And maybe you make a big deal out of other people's sin. That's not going to cover the fact that you're sinning. Sometimes when I have counseled couples, I'll, I'll see um, a spouse will say, I know that they're cheating on me, Pastor. I know it. And you know why they're so venomous and, and, and obsessed and so angry and so jealous? Because sometimes they're the ones secretly cheating. And they feel, if I condemn them, then maybe that will hide my sin. No, that's not how it works. Verse 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Do you ever think about God's awesome attributes and his qualities and his character? Do you know that God is kind? He's tolerant. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He puts up with me. He probably should have just torched me long ago. But he's gracious and he's kind and he's helping me. And when I fall, he lifts me back up. God is love. God is gracious. God is forgiving. I, I know he's a righteous judge. I know he hates sin. I don't like that part. But the part I love is he loves sinners. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. And the outcasts and the wicked and the perverse and the nasty and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, Jesus would eat with them. 
and win them over, and they get saved, and they became his followers and disciples. There's hope for us all. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. You know what attracts me to God? His love. His kindness. His self-sacrifice. When I look at the cross and I realize Jesus took my place out of love. He paid for my sin. Oh my gosh, that attracted me. That made me want to walk down the aisle and pray and receive Jesus into my heart. It wasn't God's condemnation. It wasn't the hellfire and damnation that attracted me to God. It was that God would love me, that he would forgive me, that he'd give me grace and mercy, that he'd help me in spite of myself. Do you see it? It's God's kindness. You know, as a child, I hungered for love, and when I found out that Jesus loved me, I was hungry for the gospel and God's loving family, and I have a new start, and, and Jesus wants to help me. It attracted me and caused me to give my heart to Christ. Verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart. Do you see heart? I think heart is the key. I've met some pretty horrible sinners. I've worked in juvenile halls, mental institutions, prisons, maximum security, death row. I mean, some of the prisoners I'm like talking to the other Christians. Don't leave me alone with him. He's going to like cut me up, you know. Evil, criminal, violent people. People even try to minister and they attack me, you know. Horrible sinners. But I think what the key is, is their heart. And I've seen the most evil, wicked sinners, gangbangers, criminals, cheaters, nasty people, but when they give their heart to Jesus, when they allow the Holy Spirit to soften their heart, when they invite Christ into the door of their heart, they change. They, they become born again. They're a new creation. And they fade from the old and the new comes in. And every day they start to grow and they have a joy and an excitement. You see what's key is do you have a repentant heart or do you have an unrepentant heart? Are you stubborn and hard and I'll never change and my heart is like solid rock? You need God to give you a soft heart of flesh and exchange. You need a heart transplant from Jesus. Unrepentant heart. You are storing up wrath for yourself. In the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, if you're unrepentant, I'll never change. I'll never become a Christian. I'll never turn to Jesus. I'll be so hard-hearted. You know, to me, this is the unforgivable sin. When your heart is so hard, you will never come to Christ. This is the Pharisees all over. The unrepentant, the, the unforgivable sin is not that it's nasty, it's evil, it's wicked. Jesus died for the most horrible of sins. 
He can forgive you of the most wicked thing. The thing he will not forgive you of is when you reject him and his cross and his blood. Then there is no hope for you. That hard-hearted heart against Christ. And the wrath is building and it's storing up and punishment is coming on Judgment Day, and it's going to be overwhelming. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Verse 6, Who will render to each person according to his deeds? He's quoting from Psalm 62.12. God is the judge. Now, judges can give good things, or judges can give bad things. Your Honor, I want justice, I want restitution, I want the money paid back to me, I want to be rewarded for my pain and suffering. Judges can give you money and gifts and freedom and protection, or judges can give you jail or penalties or death sentences. Depends what side of the law you're on. Are you the innocent or are you the guilty? Verse 7 to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. The Christians are seeking good. What are the Christians going to get from God? We're going to get glory, our glorified body, glorification. I'm going to resurrect from the dead. I'm going to get honor and riches. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to be robbed from the grave. Jesus is going to bring me back to life. I like that the judge wants to give me these things. But for the wicked, verse 8, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, punishment, hell, condemnation, so the judge can be good. If you're a believer, I celebrate Jesus coming. Yes, if you're a non-believer, oh no, the judge is coming. I don't want him to come. Two sides. Verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Greek. God's starting point. He started with the Jews but he finishes with the Greeks or the Gentiles. Verse 10, But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want it. I want glory and honor and peace. I want peace in my soul. I want to make peace with God. Verse 11, For there is no partiality with God. It doesn't matter your race, your class, your culture, your background. Oh, but I came out of Satanism. It's okay. Oh, I was in a cult. You know, I hated God. I was his enemy. Sounds like the Apostle Paul, you know. God can save you. He has a purpose, a plan. It doesn't matter. But I'm, I've done the most horrible, nasty sins that haunt me. The power of the blood. The power of the cross, it's under the blood, sister, brother. Come to Christ. Verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who 
have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. You will be judged according to what you have. Maybe you're from a Christian nation and you understand Christian valuables and principles, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Maybe you know the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're from some pagan land, there's no scripture, there's no Bible, there's no Judeo-Christian culture and law. It's okay. God will judge you according to what you have, your conscience, because you know right and wrong, and God will work with you and hold you accountable with what you know. 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And we just went over the gospel. It's justification through faith in Christ. If you have your faith in Christ, you're just as if you'd never sinned. 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. Some people don't have a Bible. They don't know the Ten Commandments. They've, been not, uh, they've not been raised in any Christian morals and values, but they still know right and wrong. They still know it's you know, wrong to lie, to cheat, right? And they have a conscience, right? They know right and wrong, and God will hold you accountable to what you know. 15. In that they show the work of the law written in their heart. Instead of on stone, it's a law in their heart. You know right and wrong. You know you shouldn't have done that, right? Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Like the little angel and demon on each shoulder, right? You know you're not supposed to do that. And you do it anyway. Because you know. It's built into you because the moral creator gave his creatures, his humans, morals. You know right and wrong. Another proof for the existence of God. If there was no creator, why should I care? Why should I do right and wrong? I could just do live like an animal, right? It's like the school teacher who teaches, okay, kids, we're all evolved. You came from, you know the ooze, and you're an animal. And then the next day, you guys are acting out of control. You're all acting like animals. Well, you can't have it both ways. Either I'm an animal or I'm not, right? <laughs> I'm a moral creature created in God's image. And I know instinctively right and wrong, it's in my heart. 16. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. The day is coming. Judgment day. All judgment will be given to the Son, and through Christ we will give an account, and he will hold us accountable according to what we know. Do you see it? What is the point of all this? Let Jesus win. You don't want to beat God. You want him to win over you and to save you. You know, as we address a sin and perversity and sexuality and all the 
sexual sins of mankind, maybe you just, you don't understand. Well, I don't understand. Why would someone, you know, cross-dress or change their gender or be homosexual or lesbian? You know what I would highly recommend? You need to go to YouTube and you need to look up Pure Passion, Pure Passion Ministries. And you need to hear the countless testimonies of transgenders, of homosexuals, of prostitutes, of sex slaves, of people that did the most horrible, nasty, perverse things. And when you hear their story of how Jesus saved them, and he changed them. When you hear their story of their past and the abuse and the neglect, you start to have compassion. You start to have understanding. And you realize that that's a person, that's a soul. And you know, if I went through that, maybe I'd end up the same way. You know, if my parents abused me, if I was raped, you know, I think of the little boy, goes to a birthday party, eight years old. He wants to celebrate with his friends, little boys, and he's so happy. I get to go to a birthday party. And the men take him up to a bedroom and they rape him. He's eight years old. And you can imagine the devastation, the destruction, as you hear the testimonies of men and women and children. And everything under the sun, every sin, every perversity. But if you understand how they were hurt and crushed, and no one would love them to hear their stories. I wish my, my father never kissed me, he never hugged me, my mom abandoned me, I was an orphan, I grew up on this. When you hear their stories, it changes you. It gives you compassion and love and grace that we can reach everyone for Christ. And then it gives us hope, because if God could save that person and that criminal and that pervert, and that pedophiler, and that prostitute, and that sinner, you know, I mean, because some of the stories, they're pretty heavy, so hang on to your seat, right? When you hear their stories, there's hope for us, too, because Jesus can save anyone. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Make peace with your maker. Stop fighting him. This is the way he made you. He has better for you. He knows better than you. He, he created you. He can fix you. Put your faith in Christ. Listen to your heavenly Father and trust him. Repent from your sin to Jesus and ask Jesus into your heart. That's where you start. But I do the most horrible things. Give him your heart. He wants to start with your heart. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Stop fighting Christ. Surrender to his will. He wants better for you than you do. His plans are better for you than the plans of the world and Satan and the wicked. Don't be God. Rather, give in to him. Jesus said, He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Don't give up on me. Let's pray.
Oh, Father God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Don't ever give up on us. We'll let go of our sin. We'll repent. We'll come to you, Jesus. Jesus, come into our wicked hearts that are hard and stubborn and nasty and dark and perverse. You can make us clean again. You can give us a contrite heart, a heart after you. Do heart surgery on us, Lord God, through the power of Jesus' blood. May the cross show its power in our life, forgive us of our past. Sometimes all the way back to our childhood, our hurts, our pains, our hungers. We've gone the wrong direction. We need your help. We need your church. We need your word. We need Christians to be in our life that will love us, support us, encourage us, feed us, and help us to find our identity in you, Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for supporting Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno, at 246 Courtney Lane, Reno, Nevada, 89523. Our phone number is 775-746-4567, and our webpage is calvaryreno.com. You're always welcome to join our services.